Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Our show is a two-generational look at life, death, and lots of things in between. Today, we're looking at the relationship between parents and their adult children, which may be difficult at times. For some insight into that, we turn to an expert on the subject, social psychologist and author Jane Adams. Jane's books include When Our Grown Kids Disappoint Us and I'm Still Your Mother, How to Get Along with Your Grown-Up Children for the Rest of Your Life. Jane also writes the Between the Lines blog on the psychologytoday.com website. Jane, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's nice to be here because you're two generations and that's what I talk about and you're in business together and I often coach family businesses about boundaries in the business and boundaries in the family. So I'm really interested in how you guys do it. And that's why we were interested in talking right, with right. you. We got, we got super excited when we saw this because what I was going to say is you see so many um, magazines and books about parenting children, but you really don't see anything about the relationship between parents and their grown-up children. So why did that interest you? Well, because um, I've been writing about kids and their parents for a long time since I wrote Sex and a Single Parent a hundred years ago or so when my kids <laughs> were young and I was divorced and trying to figure out how to do both at the same time, you know, be a sexual human being and a single mom. Sure. And um, I got in the habit of writing about first starting with the issues that I was dealing with and then going around and talking to the experts and interviewing people who were going through it. And that just sort of followed along with my kids growing up. And then I wrote, I'm still your mother. And I've always been interested in lifespan psychology. That's the kind of social psychology I do, how generations change and are the same. Um, And after I wrote, I'm still your mother, which was a kind of upbeat book in the late 90s about, you know, getting along with your grown up kids. Every time I did a show like this or I did a media appearance of some sort, people would either call or come up to me afterward and say, can I talk to you in private? And they were talking about um, the great secret of many parents, which is they're disappointed in how their grown kids have turned out. And, you know, disappointed is a heavy word, and that's the word that almost none of them use. Frustrated, angry, confused, all of those. And then they would whisper, disappointed. And this was a generation that prided itself on parenting as a verb, you know, and that put a lot of effort and investment in a different way in their kids than previous generations had. And um, so when their kids hit adulthood or what seemed like it should be adulthood and bounced, not once but several times, instead of making a fairly smooth transition to it, they were all those things I said, you know, worried, scared angry, resentful, pissed off, and disappointed. And so those are the stories I told about kids who just didn't seem to um, seem to have dead-ended on the road to adulthood in one way or another, through what I call the <clears throat> ADD of young adulthood, addiction, dependence, and depression. And sometimes a combination of those things and sometimes other things, you know, other kinds of trauma. Um, but mostly we're talking about the kids that either drop out of school or don't go to school, the kind of stereotypical, you know, guy sitting in his uh, bedroom in the family basement playing video games, but even more the ones who were um, seriously not ready to grow up and not coping very well with the demands of adulthood. So 
And then what I realized is that what's at the heart of both of those issues, of our closest issues, are boundary issues. Because boundaries are the line between you and me, between where I end and you begin. And sometimes with parents and children, it's hard to tell on both sides where that boundary is. And yet with adult children, there has to be a boundary, even more than, much more than there does with younger children. You know, we invade our young kids' boundaries all the time. Um, that's part of the duty of being a parent. You know, it's telling them when they're cold because they don't know enough or <laughs> to come in out of the rain and telling them, you know, it's basically a power trip parenting younger kids. Um, parenting older kids is different. And, um, you know, the, the boundaries between us are very real and need to be respected. And yet we need to learn to reach, to honor those boundaries and to also honor the change in the relationship that those boundaries are going to bring. Well, you say that, to, that today it's tough to know when the parenting years are over because the meaning of both parenthood and adulthood has changed, that there's been a shift. That's right. There's been a shift in the yeah. roles and responsibilities of parents in the lives of their adult children. So tell us more Absolutely. about that. Well, one of the things that I'm actually encouraged by after so many years about reading about how grown kids were flocking back to their parents to live because they couldn't afford to move out or because of the recession. And what we're seeing, what I'm seeing now is um, in slightly older parents and, you know, kids over 25, say, or 28, I'm seeing a much healthier interdependence where both generations rely on each other. They may not rely on each other in terms of sharing the same living spaces or for the same things, but they're increasingly reliant on each other for other than financial reasons, um, for help of one sort or another, for support, certainly, um, for companionship sometimes, um, for uh, tradition, for love, for all those kinds of intangible things that we depend on our grown kids for. You know, I mean, uh, I couldn't program anything to save my life. That's what you have grown sons for. Sure. You know, you have honeydew, you have honeydew <laughs> lists for them. And, and my own son uh, said something to me about being worried about me the other day. And I said, worried about me. That's my job worrying about you. And he said, no, now it's my job. And it was very encouraging to hear that. It meant I did something right. You know, that you were <laughs> sort of worried about me, but you know, the kinds of dependence that, um, that we fear is that our kids will not be able to live life without us. And sometimes we make it too easy for them not to ever have to, you know, we make, uh, we make decisions for them. We transgress their boundaries in a lot of ways and yet boundaries without consequences, you know, are just nagging. And that's what we end up doing with our grown kids. A lot is nagging and we don't have the consequence. Like I'm going to throw you out of the house. Or if we do, it's like the nuclear option that most parents don't want to do, or I'm going to cut you off entirely. But yet, you know, I've been reading a lot about and studying a lot about estrangements between parents and adult children. And um, the statistics of course, are sort of scary. You know, almost as many parent-adult-child relationships end in estrangement as marriages do in divorce. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's really scary. Now, estrangement yeah. can mean many different things. It's a kind of continuum of uh, everything from less phone contact with them to literally, legally writing them out of your life. 
on either generation, but it's more of a continuum between parents and adult children, a, a continuum of estrangement that kids move back and forth across. And sometimes what looks like estrangement is simply, you know, one generation, usually the younger one, is busy leading its own life, and the parents' nose are out of joint because right, right now they don't need us. You mentioned how adult children are addicted, dependent, depressed, and afraid of commitment, largely because their parents had expectations for them that were too high and that this was especially common with baby boomer parents and millennial children. And that really caught my interest because that's exactly my mom and I. Mm -hmm. Um, So how can we combat this and how can millennials get their act together? Well, I don't know that it's, you know, what our expectation is for our grown kids is often as much in their minds as it is in ours. Sometimes we're simply project as as the kids, we're simply projecting onto our parents um, the disappointment we feel in ourselves for not getting our acts together. You know, mostly parents' expectations of their kids are that they grow up to be healthy, well-adjusted, productive, responsible people. They don't have to be the king of the world. They don't have to be the president of the company. They don't have to get into Harvard. They just have to do the best they can given who they are. And yet a lot of kids today internalize um, many more demands for their parents than many parents, not all. I mean, there are parents who, whose expectations are, you know, my kid's going to get into an Ivy League college. He or she is going to make a brilliant marriage, is going to contribute to the world, well, we can't all be Bill Gates's parents, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and often what we're seeing are not expectations. I mean, I don't, I don't know, Jan, what your expectations were for Laura. Am I got the generations right here, Jan? Yeah, mom, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, I'm the mother. But, <laughs> but what were they? What were your expectations for her? My expectation, and I have an older daughter as well, and I have to say that my expectations simply, or my hopes really, were that they would simply be happy and and intelligent and able to have choices in their lives and uh, know what to do to to make themselves happy and contribute to the world and and uh, contribute to society. I want to I want to jump in here Laura, about that. If you'd been asked. If you had been asked, Laura, when you were um, 21, what you thought your parents' expectations were of you, what would you have said? You know, I think that they they definitely didn't um, push me at all to get into broadcasting, even though both of them were in that. And something I've really been thinking of lately is how um, my mom's role, especially in my upbringing, helped me so much because I was a really, really shy kid. And in a lot of ways, I didn't believe I could do a lot of things. And I don't think my mom ever put pressure on me in the traditional way, but she always supported me and made me feel like I was like the best at at just about everything I did. And I think subconsciously, then I got to feel that way without feeling like I was pushed. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. she kind of let me pick what I wanted to do um, and just made me feel like I would be good at anything it was. And support you. And what might what might you have done that would have disappointed her? You know, honestly, I I don't really know. I think if I had like gotten into drugs or, you know, if when I was in high school, I was coming in late all the time and like your sister. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was going to say, I think I think in a lot of ways, um, my sister had been more of the bad girl in the family. And I always wanted to make 
um, to not put stress on my mom and to make her feel like I had it together. And I think maybe a little uh-huh. bit of sibling rivalry in that way. I wanted to be the better, the better daughter. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I guess, you know, if I'd gone to jail or done something really bad, but I didn't feel any expectations in terms of school or getting a job or getting an, an important job or, or, or anything really. Yeah. I think I got to Jan, live my own path. Jan, what kind of expectations did you have for your older daughter? Exactly the same thing as I did for the younger daughter. And I have to say, honestly, my older daughter is an absolute gem. She is a real sweetheart. The only thing that she ever uh, gave me gray hair over, I think, in, in uh, her high school years was or, and college years, mainly, really mainly college years, is coming home, you know, too late uh, after I had expected a half an hour late or an hour late after I had expected her. But other than that, I mean, I've I've been very, very, very fortunate with both girls. Well, you have been. And so you're able to work together and keep those lines between you as business partners and you as mother and daughter or mutual friends. Yeah, I mean, I I would say I would say definitely we're able to because we get to do this together. And then, you know, I I don't live at home or anything. So we get our, our space and we can come together when we when we work together, and I think we really treasure that time together. Sure, but that's um, not to say that we don't have disagreements no, or you know get on each other's not. nerves. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're uh-huh. yeah, well, we're who doesn't? yeah, we're human. We're right. really human, right? Yeah. Right. And you know, technology has impacted our relationship a lot as well because I think we communicate a lot by text. And that was a question I had for you, which is how has technology impacted adult-child relationships? I'm sorry, oh, parent and adult hugely, hugely, hugely. Um, I was having a, a discussion with a friend of mine who's a high school teacher about why kids are allowed to even take a, a smartphone into school. Um, and anyway, we, we talked about how technology, we wouldn't, you know, it used to be that if your parents needed you because of some kind of an emergency, <clears throat> which is the reason most parents give for having their high school kids have, and even their middle schoolers or younger ones having cell phones is if I had to reach them in case of an emergency, well, there clearly are emergencies like what happened last week in Parkland, Florida. But mostly, if you had a family emergency, you called the school and they got your kid out of school. Mm-hmm. No emergency was so great that you needed to be in 24-hour contact. Mm-hmm. But there's an expectation between parents and children that there is this lifeline that they will communicate along. Most kids don't even want to talk on the phone, as you probably know. Right, right, um, right. They're much happier texting, and most parents, because our fingers are fat and old, are much happier talking than texting. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. changing somewhat because knowing that we can always connect to our kids, even if we can't see them or hear them or hear their voice, gives us a certain measure of security. On the other hand, we're that security for the kids long after we really need to be. They can reach out and ask us about anything. And sometimes that's good. But sometimes, you know, it's like the 26-year-old daughter uh, of a friend of mine who gets up in the morning and lays her three outfits out on the bed and takes pictures of all of them and texts them to her mother and says, what should I wear to work today? Wow. You know, there, there is an unhealthy reliance on each other's views, opinions, and information. Mm-hmm, cause it's and so easy to just like take a photo yeah. and, and, and send it. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. You become a little and more dependent. Thing, and one of the things that we need to start saying to our kids a lot earlier is why don't you ask somebody else? Hmm. Why don't you get your information from a wider source? This is my opinion, but 
You know, I mean, our kids are very dependent on us emotionally, much longer than they used to be. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that we are so available to them. And I think it's good that we're available, but I think we have to look at where it fosters dependence and where it helps independence. You know, um, when my daughter was 24, she spent a year uh, trekking around South America and then another year trekking around Asia. And <clears throat> that was before cell phones and before uh, Facebook and um you know, when the phone rang in the middle of the night, I was sure it was her and that she'd fallen off, you know, a donkey on the way up to Machu Picchu or something. <laughs> and then, uh, and, you know, when a call came, it was usually really an emergency. Yeah. I lost my credit card, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if I got a postcard, it was weeks after she'd left whatever, whatever place she mailed it from. This time she and her now partner um, spent a year trucking around Asia. And it was like I was with them. You know, I got Facebook or uh, text or Skype calls all the time. I kept saying, I, you know, I've hardly had a chance to miss you. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Also, it was great to share in that excitement. Um, on the other hand, you know, we, we often, young people often curate their lives for Facebook. And if their parents are connected to them through social media, it sometimes gives them an erroneous picture of what's really going on. Sure. Um, I'm in favor of face-to-face contact wherever it can be managed. And that while texts are a way to keep in touch and to make plans, they don't offer the same thing that sitting in a room together or, you know, taking a trip together or going shopping together does. Um, Or even hearing. It has, it's definitely changed the relationship. And I, some days I think it's for the better. And some days I'm not so sure. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of room for nuance in spite of emojis in text. When I talk to my daughter, I can tell by the sound of her voice mm-hmm. if she's as happy as she says she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jan, I bet you can too. Oh, I, I can. I definitely can. And, you know, I'm reminded of the fact that before my mother passed away a few years ago at the age of 85, I spoke to her virtually every day for half an hour, maybe 45 minutes on the phone. And um, I miss that. I, I definitely miss that connection. And I was an adult and had, you know, children of my own, but I always made time to to do that and to hear her voice. And and it was wonderful to be able to bounce that, that uh, you know, whatever had happened in my day off on her. And I think she felt the same way. Well, you know, it used to be that you had to take it on faith as a daughter or as a child that somewhere there was one person, your mother, your father, one person who was always thinking about you and worrying about you. And I didn't realize how much I missed that until my mother died. Yeah. That as long as she was alive, I knew that there was one person, I was always her baby, no matter how old and grown up I was. Right. And she was always concerned about me. <clears throat> now, of course, with, you know, with text, it's easier to check that. But, you know, the 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 expectations we have of our children um, are not that they'd be huge successes. In fact, all the data, all the research shows that um, in terms of personal happiness or, or success by the world, the way the world measures success, achievement, um, happiness was much more important to parents in their children than accomplishment. Right, right. That makes sense. To and, me. Yet, and yet, in, in, you know, we live in a highly competitive society. 
It's the atmosphere we swim in. And if you have aspirations for certain things for your child, it's hard not, you know, it's hard not to project them in some way. Um, in spite of the fact that, you know, you want them to be happy, why can't they be happy and successful? And I see with my friends who have had failures in their life, it almost always comes up that it's somehow their parents' fault. I mean, at what point do adult children need to stop blaming their parents for their flaws and take control of their own lives? Oh, it has to start early, you know, because as long as we take the blame, they never have to take the responsibility. And allowing them to use their childhoods. I mean, the fact is that most kids, most of us, (laughs) were not abused. You know, we may, may not have had every emotional need catered to, but we were a long way from abuse. And continuing to blame our parents for things that they either did or didn't do when we were children is a cop-out. You know, I mean, my mother may have used food to pacify me when I was one or two, but she's not to blame every time I put a chocolate eclair in my mouth now. <laughs> you know, I can't blame that on her as much as I'd like to. and sure. spent years on the couch doing it. Well, how do you get out at of the habit point, of doing that? Well, at some point you have to look at yourself and say, I am responsible for my own actions. If your child wants to be treated like an adult and there's no other way to treat them when they're that age, um, they have to be willing to accept the responsibility for their own choices. We don't get to weigh in on them. They may ask our decisions, but ultimately they're adults with adults rights to lead their own life and make their own choices and make their own decisions. But that also means taking responsibility. And, you know, we have, we're always, I think our biggest failing as parents in the last two generations of parents, anyway, maybe three is being afraid to let our kids fail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We do everything. We do everything to keep them from failing. We give them badges for self-esteem just for being alive. Yeah. You know, we overparent instead of underparenting. What would you advise? And, uh, what would you advise people to do, parents and children, parents and, and adult children to do if their relationship is fractured? What's the first step to take? And I, I know you you offer help on this, and I think you even offer this online that people can contact you online. But for anyone who's listening right now and says, I'd, I'd really like to improve the relationship either with my parent or a parent wanting to improve the relationship with the adult children. Well, I think first you will find that the one of the, the faults in the relationship is that each of them has his own truth about what happened. And you have to accept their truth as being true for them. Huh. You know, and all you can do is say, you know, I, I hear that's what you think happened and I'm really sorry and I regret that it happened and let's move on. But when I listen to my kids talk about their childhood sometimes, it doesn't bear any resemblance to the childhood that I remember, even specific events. Wow. And granted, you know, my memory is not as good as it used to be, but when my daughter says to me, how can you forget that, you know, I fractured my kneecap when I was in sixth grade. And I said, are you sure? And she said, yes, because that was the night of your first publishing party. And you kept telling me to stop complaining and pass the hors d'oeuvres. I 
conveniently have blocked that out of my mind. Sure. Many years. Later. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we all we all have stories of things we remember differently. Yeah. Ask your kids about a trip you took as a family once and mm-hmm. see what they remember. It'll probably be quite different from what you remember. Mm-hmm. And often the source of the problems with our kids is that they have a whole different take on things that went wrong and or, so- or not than you did. And all you can do is listen to their story, accept that it's their story and they're sticking to it and it's true for them. And then when you get to it, that's the beginning of, that's not the way, you know, you don't even have to say it, that's not the way I remember it. You say, okay, that was then, this is now, let's move on. Uh-huh. Because you can't I change things. Yeah, you can't change things. Well, something, something that, that causes I think so it's much. Important for us, I think it's important for us as parents to remember when our kids push the guilt trip button that whatever we did wrong or didn't do right or didn't do, whatever we did, we didn't do because we didn't love them. We did the best we could given who we are, who we were then, what our circumstances were then. Sure, I didn't do all the things for my kid that I might have done. I was a single mother trying to raise them alone and keep roofs over their head. And I'm sorry that they lost out on some aspects of, you know, a childhood. On the other hand, they got a lot more than other kids get in different ways. So all I can do is express my regret for what, you know, but I did the best I can. And that's all we can say to ourselves is that we did the best we can. You know, Jane, our show is called Nobody Told Me. And we always like to ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? What have you learned along the way that... That surprised you that nobody could have told you about? I think probably the great um, security I would feel for my grown children when I was older, that whatever I did, they never didn't, they never thought didn't, they never thought I didn't love them. They always knew that. And that's made them really secure. And it's made them reach out to me and, and make my life more secure now. Um. What surprised me, I guess, is what a great comfort they are at mm-hmm. a time when their lives are in transition and busy. Um, and there have been times that we have been, my daughter and I were estranged for about a year and a half, but it wasn't because we didn't love each other. We just couldn't connect them. And again, estrangement is a continuum. And it begins when we leave our parents home, not usually out of anger, but just because that's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. And we move back in and out along that continuum and we move closer and further emotionally to them. Um, And we triangulate sometimes and try to get at our issues with them through somebody else, either our spouse or um, if not our spouse, our other child. Uh, We don't do them the, the give them the respect of communicating with them directly. I think that it's important to know that that. Relationships between parents and kids are kind of like marriages, and they're like the tide. It goes in and it comes out. And if you wait long enough, eventually it comes in again. But it means you have to be open to saying, you know, I accept your truth and I love you and can we move on? Jane, how can people contact you on social media and how can they find out more about you and your books? They can go to my website, www.janeadams.com. And that has my books on it. I'm also, they can look at my Amazon author page and you can contact me through my website. I offer uh, 
coaching in various guises. And one of the things I offer on my website is a one-time, one-hour, $100 coaching session um, as an introduction to the kind of very directive um, coaching I give. And I say to parents, look, I can't change your kid. I can only change the way you relate to them. And sometimes that causes a change in them too, but that's not the point. The point is to change your attitude um, and bring it more in touch with the reality of where you and your child are now. And Jane, we thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with you, with us uh, this half hour. Again, her website... Her website is janeadams.com. That has been Jane Adams, a social psychologist. Her books are called When Our Grown Kids Disappoint Us. And also, I'm Still Your Mother, How to Get Along with Your Grown-Up Children for the Rest of Your Life. Jane also writes the Between the Lines blog on the psychologytoday.com website if you want to find out more about her that way. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. And you've been listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you for joining us. 